0: You're listening to The Cutting Edge, Voices from the AHA, episode one. Okay. On the way. This is Dougal McDonald, editor of the American Alpine Journal, the AAJ. I wanna tell you a little bit about this new podcast we're starting. You know, every year since 1929, the American Alpine Club has published the AAJ to document long new routes everywhere in the world. Each year we publish hundreds of reports from Himalayan first ascents to big wall free climbs. With the cutting edge, we want to let you hear directly from the climbers, telling their stories in their own voices. Each month, one of the AAJ editors will interview a climber just back from a wild new route or expedition. So that's the plan and our guest for this first episode is Will Stanhope from Canada. Will, as you probably know, has done new routes and first free ascents all over the place. But in recent years, he's been spending big chunks of each summer right near home, in the Bugaboos. In 2015, he red-pointed the Tom Egan Memorial Route on the very steep east face of Snowpatch Spire, after four years of effort. Over the last two summers, Will's been hanging out on the back side of the Bugaboos, on the west side of the Hauser Towers. It's like another world over there. It's a long way from the crowds at Appleby Camp or the conga line on Pigeon Spire. Now, pretty much everyone knows about the Becky Chouinard route up south Hauser Tower. It's, It's one of the 50 classics. But the other two towers, north and central, are much, much more difficult and much less frequently climbed. The ridge line linking these three towers was traversed years ago, in both directions. But the huge main faces had never been linked. I'm pretty sure no one had ever even tried. Will first came up with this idea about eight years ago. Not only did he want to do all the towers in a day, something like 60 guidebook pitches, he also wanted to climb them entirely free with pitches up to 512 plus. It's like one of those big link-ups in the valley, except that you've got the potential of bad weather, glaciers to traverse, bad rock, there's a lot more to deal with. At the end of August, Will and the British climber, Leo Holding, pulled off the big link-up. The AHA's Chris Kelman spoke with Will to get the full story.
1: Welcome to the cutting edge. We're really glad to have you here. Super excited to talk to you about your massive link-up in the Bugaboos. Uh, well, thanks, Chris, for the the kudos. Appreciate it. So when did when did you first come up with this idea to to link these faces? I um
2: I freed or we freed the Central Hauser with Jason Kruck and uh, Matt Siegel in 2009, I believe. And yeah, it was kind of just kind of niggling in the back of my head ever since then. I was like, Wow, well, wouldn't it be wild to to uh, to link these things?" And then at the the next year, I climbed uh, all on the watchtower with my friend Andrew Rennie. Yeah, so that kind of the idea has been brewing in the back of my head, you know, ever since I saw those walls, basically.
1: And you said that was back in two thousand and
2: nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly.
1: And so eight years. How old are you? Thirty. <laughs> so more than a quarter of your life's been consumed by this idea. <laughs>
2: yeah, I wouldn't say, like, totally, like, obsessed, consumed. It's just kind of, like, was, you know, in the back of my head, kind of like, well, if the stars align, if I find the right partner, which I did with Leo, then I, I'd be psyched to give it a go. But, yeah, it's, I don't know, I feel like climbing's kind a lot of these, like, oscillating ideas that you kind of revisit, think about, you know, maybe come back to, maybe, maybe you know, kind of shelve them for a bunch of years, but they're kind of always there. And that that was one of those projects that I kind of wanted to do, but only if the stars align and I didn't want to force it and, uh, or try it with somebody who I didn't feel safe with either. So,
1: yeah. So speaking of the stars aligning, how did you choose to, to ask Leo to join you? Did you know him pretty well already? How did that partnership come about?
2: Yeah, I met Leo in two thousand ten in Yosemite and uh he's always been kinda of a big hero of mine. Um I've known he's kind of been one of my climbing idols, I guess, since I was a since I was pretty young. So anyway, met him in Yosemite, got along really well with him, and then we kinda of just I just been firing him emails once in a blue moon, just see, you know, querying him about certain projects and I was really psyched that he I kind of shot him an email out of the blue, and he was instantly on board. So,
1: But this this link-up, you guys kind of prepared a bit last summer, didn't you? Were you guys uh, back in the East Creek drainage together?
2: Yeah, we were out there with uh, friends uh, Maury Birdwell and Jesse Huey, and uh, we freed a route on this other feature called the Minaret. We were thinking about potentially going for it last year, but it, it honestly just seemed a, too intimidating, a little out of reach. I just kind of shelved it for a year. It was honestly, it was good. I think to have kind of that that season just to get in the groove with climbing with Leo. I don't know these these long simul climbing objectives. I think it kind of takes a minute to get in the groove with a partner. You know, you don't really just want to like first date it. You know. <laughs> yeah.
1: Can you walk me through a little bit of? the possible recon or preparation that led up to this? Did you guys ever try and link like two of the towers just to see where you were at? Or was this kind of like full bore, first try, (laughs) we're going for it?
2: I think in an ideal world, we would have spent maybe two months out there and and really sussed it out a lot more. Leo's got a young family, so they were in Squamish a bunch, and we kind of just had three weeks. So at the end of the day, it didn't work out like that and we barely managed to do it just by the skin of our teeth on the exact, you know the very last day
1: uh give us sort of a run through of how the day went and kind of describe a little bit about how you get off each of these different towers too because um you know that that's <laughs> if you're gonna climb three of them you gotta descend three of them so how did that all work
2: i'll, I'll be the first to say we use some pretty heavy-handed tactics and in, in, in getting in and off these features basically we had the central hauser f- fixed from top to bottom and it allowed us to run these micro track laps on the route and, and get familiar with it and it just enabled a super fast descent and then we also had ropes fixed into the north hauser basin so the central hauser starts out with some really burly crack climbing kind of really steep Anya 511 and then it Culminates or not, maybe about halfway up the wall, you get to this very technical kind of 12C ish slab move that's kind of low percentage, and that was actually it was kind of the tipping point when we first freed it, and my buddy Jason Jason Croc first freed this this really ballistic slab, so that was kind of you kind of switching modes from like really burly steep crack climbing to just like a really onya really cerebral slab climbing crux and then from there it's some really you know steep finger crack climbing and so that would i would say that would be one of the main cruxes was that slab where you just had to really get into your own head and you know dance across this fairly blank face
1: and were you guys simuling at that point or you we that belayed that yeah
2: yeah so we uh that's another critical element is, is slapping these little micro attractions onto uh belays which makes simuling a hell of a lot safer, and I don't. It's. I mean, it does come down to the details, and with these things, and I don't know if we would have been able to do it without these new tricks of the trade.
1: How many tractions did you bring? Uh, maybe three or four. Wow! So you were simuling big, big chunks.
2: Yeah, but it was so hypercritical. It it changes the game with
1: simuling. So who was who was in the lead on that uh, slab crux? Uh, I was at that point. Nice. And were you on a full-on belay, or or did you just have?
2: Yeah, yeah, I know we, we 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 pitched out the that kind of stuff. It's like it's, you don't want to be messing around with like. I mean, the thing about those those micros is like, yes, in theory they work, but like, I don't know. It's like you don't really want to be taking like a dynamic whip onto those tooth devices.
1: No. What, what diameter was your rope?
2: <laughs> Pretty slim, like an eight nine. So it's like, it's better than nothing, but it's not, you know, like, you know the score, right? It's, you're, you're kind of cutting corners. And that's what freaked us out most about the whole endeavor, I think, was just like, it was just a lot of hardcore simuling.
1: So you, you passed the 12 plus crux. You guys must've been pretty psyched to get that out of the way. And, uh, you both freed it. No falls, right? Mm Mm-hmm. You guys freed the whole route. No falls, didn't you?
2: Yeah. And I mean, it could have gone either way. One of us could have slipped at one point, but we, we managed it. Yeah.
1: So you're, you're up above the slab and you said there were some steep, uh, steep finger cracks above that.
2: Yeah. Some steep, uh, really beautiful pitches actually for anybody ever wants to repeat these routes, which (laughs) not not exactly hyper popular, but, um, yeah, you get to some ridge climbing and then you're at, at the top of the, the very like seldom climbed central Hauser, which is a a cool feature, kind of dwarfed a little bit by the south and north, but is is a cool feature unto itself, and I hope more people climb it.
1: And what was the name of that route?
2: It's called Chocolate Fudge Brownies. It's a route uh, Sean Isaac and Brian Webster put it up, I think, in the let's say like late 90s, maybe, 99.
1: So you got to the top in how long did it take you to get there?
2: I think that was ballpark four or five hours.
1: Wow, it's fast and then hopped on your fixed lines, zipped back to yeah. the base, um, and then what, you, did you just walk over to the next one? Do you have to put on crampons? Or- well,
2: that that's the, yeah, I mean, that's kind of one of the cruxes, the danger cruxes is there's, there's really, you basically drop, in, we had fixed lines for this as well, but you drop into this North Hauser Basin and you're directly underneath this bowling alley of, Uh, It's just it's a shitty place to be at any time of the day. Two in the morning, five p.m., noon, noon. I think is particularly uh, bad, but that's that's when we arrived there. But you're basically you're just kind of in this unpleasant funnel that you know we we've seen like Volkswagen-sized blocks rip out of there. So we just hustled it across in our crampons, and then we were at the base of the North Hauser.
1: And then which route did you start up? Was that all along the Watchtower,
2: yeah, it, it's kind of like a an amalgamation of uh, this route called Spicy Red Beans, and then it links into the. Wa- it it's a qu- it's a quicker start to the Watchtower. Okay, but uh, I, I'd re- I highly recommend it for those people uh, who want to climb that route because it's 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 a lot quicker than the original start of the Watchtower is kind of convoluted and strange.
1: And how hard is it? that spicy red bean start uh it's it's just it's kind of
2: like a lot of wide five nine low angle kind of unpleasant but quick i think the biggest hazard is just like especially simulating is just like having a rope running through like a gully you know you're like you're constantly aware of like trying to redirect the line away from blocks and it's just a it's face. It's just an enormous face with you know mountain hazards. And you're not in Yosemite. You like becomes you're like well aware of that. <laughs> yeah, and you know at that point you've climbed the central already, so you're not like you're not mega work, but you're there's a few cracks in the armor of it. So and at that point too we had like a bunch of water on us and like crampons and uh, you know a gigantic rack as well because you're. It's, with all the siming basically a full-blown triple set so
1: is that triples like up to four
2: no I don't think we brought anything that big but like definitely triples up to two and um you know you're just, <laughs> at that point you're getting blazed by the the afternoon sun so it's just yeah that was that was probably the most demoralizing part of the day was just kind of like laboring up those those low-angle, unpleasant, chossy pitches, and then as soon as the sun went down in the upper watchtower corner, I, we started feeling a lot better, even though the the climbing got harder.
1: Nice, yeah. Uh, walk me through some of the that those upper corners on watchtower.
2: Yeah, so basically, about halfway up the north house, you get to the most beautiful open book corner. I'm going to say on planet Earth. <laughs> But uh, it's, it's pretty wild. It's like basically like 200 meters of, you know, ballpark 5'11, fingers the whole way. Oh, sounds amazing. Yeah, it's it's a it's a you know, for those of you who haven't climbed it, it's like it's one of those, you know, if you're up for the challenge, it's 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 an amazing route, and that culminates in this short, kind of burly, often wet ballpark. I would say 12C crux (laughs)
1: that Um, sounds fun wet 12c yeah that that's that was
2: kind of when it was getting like seriously pitch black not just dusky but pitch and um yeah we managed to climb that barely
1: in that corner 511 is well within your guys comfort zone so were you simuling that 200 meter corner
2: yeah, uh, I think we were kind of getting to that semi-shattered point that we, we 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 pitched it all out. Yeah, just to kind of stay safe. I think like if we were fresh, we could have it, but you know, at that point, we we thought it prudent to to pitch it out.
1: And so, who who was in the lead on the uh, on the wet twelve C?
2: I was, but it was, it was one of those traversy pitches where it's, you know, it's just, it's kind of freaky to, to follow. And then you have a bunch of really convoluted ridge climbing to get to the summit. It really paid off that we had done the route previously, uh, you know, just a week before or something like that. And then.
1: How'd that ridge climbing go? Were you sort of doing a lot of, were Were there any repels? Were there like big gendarmes you were going up and over or. Yeah. A
2: little everything. <laughs> yeah it's just huge convoluted amazing terrain though but it's, like, it's it's amazing to do in the light and and leo was in the lead at that point and i was like i was kind of like always a little gobsmacked of like his like the guy's got a really good memory and he could just like remember all these little like really important little you know turns and that's just a bunch of wild terrain then i was psyched i wasn't in the lead for that because he nailed it to a T. yeah i know i could draft a bit
1: all right cool so that took you up to the summit and then what that was the summit of north so you just pop right over to central and then wrap your fixed lines again or was that involved or pretty easy
2: no we we didn't like i mean the terrain up there is pretty wild. Like. I was thinking about that like on paper. It's like, oh, maybe you could get to the central, but it's like I'm sure that would have been another like four hours of at least of super convoluted ridge climbing. So we just did the original wrap off the, uh, off the east face of the housers there. And then you wrap over this enormous kind of melting bird shrund and then zip around and walk across the snow field and then drop back in to the uh, a Hauser Pigeon Call. You drop through there, and it's just basically a bunch of hiking. We got back to camp. We had a bunch of friends there that were had us some dinner for us, a bunch more caffeine, and then headed to the Becky.
1: Um, okay, so by the time that you stumbled back into camp and your buddies had food waiting for you, it sounds like you... That was about midnight, is that about right? yeah, I would say about that, yeah, and so you guys started at about seven a m so that's that's about seventeen hours on the go mm-hmm. um at that point, were you thinking about i mean were you worried? did you think you guys were running late? Where was your morale and and how are you feeling?
2: yeah, at that point, I kind of feel like like the Becky Shenard it's a long crack climb but you know we I knew we could do it no matter how shattered we were so it felt like a formality a bit like we just had to do it just for this you know this super weird link up plan <laughs> but uh
1: i mean still though with 15 pitches to go i mean yeah you guys had 7 hours but if you're going to let's say you take 30 minutes for for rest and 20 minutes for food and maybe, you know, 20 minutes to deal with getting to the base. I mean, you're still, it's non-negligible to do 15 pitches in in six hours. Were you at least thinking like, okay, this is going to be a lot of work?
2: Yeah, totally. Yeah, we weren't sure it was in the bag. And we started to cramp a bit at that point too. Get those like gnarly like, Charlie horse leg cramps
1: yeah and that can be pretty scary when you're simul climbing a big alpine mountain in the dark
2: yeah you would definitely want to have the the communication lines open and you know don't be afraid to tell your partner that you're you're cramping up and just chill out and put a piece in you know that's the critical that's a critical thing with that stuff is not to get like too too proud you know you don't want to be like i'm just gonna soldier through no, no. if you're bonking tell your buddy <laughs> you know that would be my tidbit of advice for anybody that wants to try something this stupid
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so any memorable moments as you're going up the you know probably one of if not the most famous climb in the bugaboos the becky Schnard on the south hauser
2: yeah it was just kind of like the long blur of endless sima climbing at night you know like that just Kind of riding those undulating waves of psych, like Leo would feel sleepy, then I'd feel sleepy, and we kind of both like try and like jolt each other out of the sleepiness
1: were you guys checking your watches and
2: yeah by the end we we thought it was to- and I think that's where like we thought it was totally in the bag and we were at camp like hammering back coffees and eating food. And then, about halfway up the Becky, it was like became apparent that it was not in the bag at all. You're <laughs> <laughs> we like barely really gonna stick it. Like, super late at night, you kind of think you're motoring, but it's like, oh, maybe you were not actually going that fast. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and then, towards the end, there, just before dawn, there, it started to you know, get that like micro half light where you're like, oh, okay, maybe night's not permanent here.
1: Where Where were you on the route or? Um, you know, how high up were you when that first light started to hit?
2: Uh, we were just, just near the top. Like there's this funky little, like 10 minus crux move, maybe 10 B or something. And, uh, you know, a little half slab move and I pulled that and it's kind of, there were some crazy forest fires raging in, in BC at the time. And, uh, yeah, the, the light started to filter in ever so slowly And, uh, and, that it's, it's amazing the jolt of energy it gives you.
1: Yeah. So was it pretty cold at night? Were you guys in like climbing in puffies or?
2: Yeah, we are puffies for sure.
1: So yeah, when that light hit, you must've been pretty psyched.
2: Yeah, but I think it was beyond the warmth kind of thing. It was just like that human instinct or something where like the light starts to come up, you filter in and you, you really do get this, this like ancient jolt of a energy. I don't know.
1: Sounds amazing, man. Uh, were you flooded with relief? Did you crack a kokanee up there <laughs> or was it kind of like, get me back to camp and let me go to sleep?
2: Yeah, no, no kokanee, sadly, at the top of the house. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we just hustled down the wraps and, you know, tried to stay, you know, you got to stay focused even i guess there's no walk-offs here in the bugaboos it's not like you just like you can like saunter down the chief trail
1: cool man well hey will thanks a lot man it was awesome talking to you congrats on an amazing climb and yeah uh we'll all be looking forward to hearing from you more in the future
2: okay thanks chris and, and thanks for chatting and appreciate the kudos and we'll chat soon.
0: Wow, that was cool. You know, I was lucky enough to climb the Becky Shenard last summer in the Bugaboos, and listening to Will, it's just absolutely hard for me to imagine tacking that route on at the end of the day after climbing those other two massive faces. So thanks a million to Will Stanhope and to Chris Kalman for sharing that story with us. If you like what you hear on The Cutting Edge, or if you have any suggestions or comments, Drop us a line at aaj.americanalpineclub.org. It'd be great to hear from you. The Cutting Edge is produced by the American Alpine Club. You can learn more about the benefits of membership, including rescue coverage, live your dream grants, and great gear discounts, by visiting Americanalpineclub.org. Until next time, this is Dougal McDonald, the editor of the AAJ, wishing you happy climbs.